we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we brave the sweltering summer heat of sex and violence to watch movies mm. for you, audience. Mm. For you. Absolutely. Today today was an air conditioner day. We had to use the air conditioner it today. Was so it's so hot. It's getting hot. Today. It's really hot. My name is Orlando, and joining me is my uh, frequent guest, co-host, and roommate, Ned. Uh, yeah, hot, hot, hot. Indeed. Absolutely. I, I, would, I would say this is like the first hot day of the summer, actually. A little bit, a like, little bit. Like there's really been some, hot. There's been some toasty days. Um, I have been using the air conditioner in my own room like a little earlier than today, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, today I'm, I'm really feeling that heat. Here in our studio, it's appropriate that it's a hot summer day. I think it's going to put us in the mood for this movie tonight because uh, tonight we're watching "Do the Right Thing," okay, which is a 1989 American comedy drama film, produced, written, directed, and starring Spike Lee. Uh, it also stars Danny Aiello, Ozzy Davis, Ruby D, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito, mm. Bill Nunn, John Turturro. And Samuel L. Jackson. This is also the feature film debut of Martin Lawrence and Rosie Perez. And the story explores a Brooklyn neighborhood simmering racial tension, which culminates in violence on a hot summer day. Now, before we go any further with this discussion, I'm going to say that we've chosen tonight's film in light of the current events surrounding the outcry, specifically. Uh, at the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police, but on a larger scale as a reaction to years, decades even, of racial inequality and an imbalance of uh, justice that's perpetuated by and favors the ruling class in this country. Now, in times of social unrest, you know, we're just a little podcast and you know, everyone's asking themselves, what can we do? And uh, you can choose to add your voice or you can stay quiet. Um, I personally stand on the side uh, against oppression and for true equality. I support the protests in all their forms. I believe that black lives matter. Uh, And one of the ways that you grow is by learning, and one of the ways that you learn is by listening. So tonight, we have chosen to do the best that we can. We're going to work... in, in obviously not in the context of our lives, but in the context of this show, of this podcast, every little bit counts, right? So we are going to watch the work of one of America's most important black filmmakers, Spike Lee, and to listen to what he has to say. We will discuss this movie as we do any other movie on our show, and we hope that the conversation is respectful and honest. Now, if you feel compelled at all after this show... To donate to a cause of social justice, I will list names and organizations that you can support at the end of this episode. Again, like I said, every little bit counts. And uh, your voice is important, and it's important that you are heard. We'll also put these links on the show notes. You can find them there. Now, having said that, have you seen this movie, Ned? I have not. 
Um, I think that the the only the only Spike Lee film to date that I have seen is um, that movie Inside Man, the Bank Heist, which movie. is a pretty fun movie. Which is a real fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, real, 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 just like super slick. Right. Awesome. That's one of his cool most movie. like uh, think mainstream attempts, like a commercial. Yeah, work. definitely, absolutely. Um, so uh, yeah, I've, I, I, I mean, this movie's reputation, I think, precedes itself. So right. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, actually see it for the first time and to uh, to have the opportunity to uh, to react and discuss it mm-hmm. um, on the podcast today. Great. Uh, one of the things to look forward to in this movie, other than, of course, the message of the movie and discussing that, but, um, you know, Spike Lee is one of those guys that he he's a very mixed bag as a filmmaker for me, because while I love some of his work a lot, I feel like some of it doesn't quite accomplish what it sets out to do. And the reason for that is because he is very unabashed in in the way he makes movies. He He's, he is he lets you know that you're watching a movie. He's very, you know, it, it, it's not like like a Steven Spielberg wants you to forget that the camera exists. <laughs> yeah. But Spike Lee is like, no, this is the camera and I'm going to use it to make you feel this. Yeah. And that very in your face style um, is very evident in this movie. I actually think that this is probably his most successful um, use of his style. Nice. So I'm really excited to to see how all of that informs the storytelling. And uh, yeah, we'll watch the movie. Now, this movie is not available for free anywhere uh, or with a subscription or anything like that. We are actually going to rent it on Amazon. Uh, it is $3.99 for the HD version on Amazon, which uh, 4 bucks isn't isn't anything. This is a legendary movie. Uh, it's one of the most important films from the 80s. Probably one of the most important films of all time, I would say. So um, do yourself a favor, watch the movie, and then we'll come back on the other side and we'll play some trivia and have a discussion. So are you ready to watch Do the Right Thing, Ned? Absolutely. All right, so we'll watch the movie. We'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And we are back. That we are. We just saw Do to the Right Thing. Yeah. Now, um... What were your first impressions? Um, it was, uh, I, I was kind of glad you brought up, um, the very consciously cinematic nature of Mm -hmm. Spike Lee's directing. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a very cinematic film. Um, I also found it to be very theatrical though, too, that I feel like there's, there is this very sort of, there's this very sort of, um, sort of uh theatrical way that it's that it's all staged with like you know the camera sort of stopping in on like each stoop mm-hmm. on the block the fact that the whole thing takes place in like the same location right. over a very compact period of time like i I I was definitely sort of very early on in the film thinking about like oh yeah there's like a very theatrical 
way that it's 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 so driven it, by the dialogue it calls and driven, attention to itself and 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 it kind of like calls attention to itself but at the same time um you also do have this like very intentional um camera work going on that does this incredible job of just sort of like bringing bringing the inner lives of all the characters mm-hmm. to the surface and and really sort of showing that like even as you're sort of seeing the life cycle of this this one block of this one mm-hmm. neighborhood. Like you're also really just seeing so many different dimensions to every single character right. who lives on that block, and and uh, and so it's it's really great to kind of see like the back and forth about how there is something very like there is something very big picture and universal about its theatricality, while at the same time. Um, really really intimate like right. it, it really works on this macro and micro scale mm-hmm. at the same time and, yeah. and and there's a lot going on in this mm-hmm. movie and I it's know bursting that at the seams that's the thing like it really is bursting at the seams with just like so many different ideas and um and I know that I'm not going to be able to scratch the surface. Well, yeah, we, um, and, we don't have the time to. And I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, we definitely don't have the time. You to could scratch teach an entire surface. course based on this. Movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but there's yeah, there's so much going on, and and it was all just so beautifully executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the theatricality. Uh, that's it's a good point because it is, it is a very theatrical movie, and it feels artificial in a lot of times. But that I think that goes to like he very consciously films it in a way to make you feel like you're not watching um, something that's actually happening. He wants you to know that what you're watching is um, not not a fantasy, but like fictional. He wants you to know that what you're seeing is something that's meta, that's like meant to represent something larger than what you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, it does have like a play quality to it. Like uh, it feels very much like the works of uh, if we're if we're we're talking about you know these big idea plays like uh, Death of a Salesman or or August Wilson's Fences, which is probably a better comparison because they're both about the black experience. Um, a Raisin in the Sun, like these are all films uh, or plays, sorry, that exist on a very artificial. Um, Platform, yeah. but they're meant to be, like you said, like a microcosm of something larger, and in yeah. this case, being you know American society. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and and also because this this does, like you know, there's there's nothing very like you know naturalistic about the performances. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they all they all do have like a really heightened yeah. quality to them. Um but uh but yeah at the same time it is also like very intimate while at the same time obviously trafficking in a lot of really big ideas and 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 clearly it's like packed with message too. It has like, it has, does a very good job. Uh, I've always admired this about this movie. You have a does a very good job um going back and forth between the the lighter scenes, like scenes where you have like um, lots of people, lots of noise, like lots of energy, lots of life. Yeah. And then the very, like you said, like the very quiet, intimate scenes where you get like these people just like giving us, you know, speaking in long texts and long monologues, sometimes with each other, sometimes alone. Um, but just like really getting to the heart of who these characters are yeah. and the problems on their block, you know, like how, how their block is 
you know, it's personal to them. Like you said, it's a very personal movie, but it's also meant to be personal for us. Like we live, so to speak, America is our block. Yeah. And that's what I think that at the end of the day, like that is really well captured in this movie. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll discuss it a little more in, in depth here in a second, but uh, before we go on, let's, uh, let's keep things light ourselves and play some trivia. You ready to Indeed, play some yes. do the right thing trivia? Yeah, this mo- there's so much detail in this movie, so I, I fear my chances for the uh, trivia Now, here. I will say that I purposefully, and again, I don't know, I, mean, I feel like I always like say things and then... <laughs> It's I feel you're you always like, ooh, this is going to be the hard one, and then I said, and, and vice versa. Like, right. oh, it's so easy. Because yeah. I purposefully tried to keep this on the easier side. Oh, I am, oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. <laughs> but Ladies we'll see what happens. I don't have a chance. Now, we're starting you nice and easy. There are going to be five questions and a bonus. Uh, the questions go in ascending order from least difficult to most difficult, and the grand prize is bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Um, last time, you didn't do so well. You know, you kind of had middling bragging rights. So let's yeah. see if you can redeem yourself. Ah, uh, oh. Oh, there's no redemption here. Here comes question number one. All right. What is the name of the song that prominently features in the film and the band that performs it? It is Fight the Power by Public Enemy. At least the song that's heard the most throughout the film. Correct. It's Fight the Power by Public Enemy. In fact, the movie starts with basically the entire song. Yeah. uh, The opening credits, and it features... uh, Rosie, Rosie Perez, Perez. Yeah, dancing like in shadow boxing. Jamming the fuck out. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a great great opening. It um, really is. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, that's the other thing about the movie that I think sort of put me in that theater mm-hmm. headspace because it looks like she's performing on a stage. When oh, very she's much so. Doing it doesn't that. feel like, like they filmed it, that on the street. Yeah, yeah. It didn't it didn't look filmed on location for for those for that intro sequence specifically? Um, mm-hmm. so so that was another thing that I found. Yeah, that that just sort of put me in this like, ooh, we're like we're watching a play, right, right, complete with an overture, like so, correct. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Uh, this was, of course, uh, we, as we mentioned, this is Rosie Perez's film debut. Yeah, um, and. Uh, she was sort of discovered at a at a dance club. She she was a dancer before she became an actress, and and uh, I believe that it was um, uh, they, they were having a contest the night that they were that Spike Lee met her at this club. Okay. And Rosie Perez won the best butt in the <laughs> in the contest. It was cool. a dance contest. Cool. Props. And and Spike Lee like goes up to her to congratulate her, and Rosie Perez just thinks that he's like some creep, you know, creeping on her. Yeah. So she like turns around and. Basically, like curses at him, and he's so like enamored by her accent and just the way that he just like she just flat out cursed at him that he he basically like cast her in this movie based on that interaction. I love it. I I love it. The um, the opening dance sequence was inspired by the opening credit sequence with uh, Anne Margaret in the film Bye Bye Birdie from 1963. Oh. Uh, and Rosie Perez. Uh, Took it, the dancing took eight hours to film. Man, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. But they, she had lots of different costume changes. She was doing a whole bunch of different things with yeah. with her movement there. I mean, it's very riveting, actually. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic way to to open the movie. I also find um, it really interesting. Again, like how you said that it sets the tone in terms of. Um, well, we're watching something theatrical. I also think that it sets the tone in terms of. 
how we're dealing with race relations in this movie because like the 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 song choice itself you know fight the power is a very it's a call to action for black americans um but rosie perez even though I, I I don't even know if you would call her a black Puerto Rican, um, but she does have a darker skin for a Puerto Rican, but she's a Puerto Rican lady. So I, I really love going on into like the world of the film. I love how eclectic the, the film's messaging on race is yeah. because I feel like, you know, Spike Lee has this reputation well-earned that he's an advocate for, for, you know, black rights and black Americans, but, but this movie, I've always, it's always struck me how balanced in tone it is when it comes to portraying race. Um, I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would say, like, yeah, it, it yeah, like, I, I think the word I, I do find myself sort of coming back to is, like, microcosm. That I right. definitely feel like it's, it's, it's taking a, you know, a very small stretch of street, um, but, like, really... But 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 like but like really sort of going for their yeah just like a very expansive portrayal of like a very limited street. I think like it's it's tough to say. I mean, I think it's 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 a very black film. Like the vast majority of the characters that are on screen are clearly black. Absolutely. Um, But uh, but yeah yeah no. I think it 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 definitely has this this grand scale to it. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, yeah. It's very kind of. I mean, this might be like a, the wrong comparison because all the characters in these in this man's plays are are white, but the way that you're describing microcosm and and standing for something grander really has a Tennessee Williams feel to it, like like Streetcar Named Desire. You know, it's like it's about this little bit of New Orleans that represents this much larger concept. Well, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little bit. One and also like yeah, just kind of this like. Yeah, this like going back and forth between like you know very very droll um, you know everyday interactions, mm-hmm. but also like you know a, a, a sort of a a bit of a a bit of a poetic right. kind of sensibility to it. Right, as absolutely. Well. Not not necessarily not necessarily like flowery verse or anything like no, that. No, it's very but, poetic. But like but like yeah, very. Yeah, very, very much. Yeah, like yeah, going, going beyond. Yeah, so no, there's yeah, a, Tennessee Williams is an interesting comparison. There's yeah. a lot of poetry in this movie. I, yeah. I agree with you there. Uh, let's go to question number two. Definitely. Um, no, Mookie sh- uh, changes his shirt halfway through the movie, but the first shirt that he has in the prominently in the film uh, when he's delivering pizzas represents which former Brooklyn baseball team and player. Get one this point. Is the, this is the easy. This is the easy <laughs> quiz. You kidding me? You, I'm not a sports ball person. Uh, Can the you Brooklyn, at least get the, the Brooklyn. Team. Okay, the Brooklyn. I don't. I don't. Is was the Brooklyn Steelers ever a, a team? No. Okay. First of all, the te- the Steelers are a football team. Shush, shush. <laughs> it's all sports. All sports we're, are the same. We're talking baseball here. Okay, the Brooklyn. I mean, he wore Wait, it for the half Brooklyn of the Bombers. I don't know. No, the Brooklyn. I don't know. The Bronx Bombers are the Yankees. Okay, there we go. You see, this is the thing, I, dude. You, you can't. Wow. You can't have me, you can't have me trying wow. to pick up details like this. You cannot. You cannot. It was the Brooklyn Dodgers, who are now the LA Dodgers. Okay, fair. 
Okay, fair. And it was Dodgers. And it was number forty-two, Jackie Robinson, who was the first African American to play for Major League Baseball. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. And I love like all those little details in this movie too. Uh, Even the graffiti um, has a lot to do with you know it, it name drops like specific. Um, instances of of, of, uh, of you know history, black history, and and uh, and that that has to do with the theme of the movie. Where Jackie Robinson very prominently experienced uh, racial discrimination in his life. Yeah, and he 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 played with black leagues for most of his uh, or for the beginning of his career, and then when he worked um, with Major League Baseball, you know that was such a such a big step in representation. But even then. Um, a lot of his fellow players didn't want anything to do with him because he was black. Yeah, that's a thing. I mean, like, yeah, like, like that, that much, again, not knowing anything about sports history, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, like that, that much, yeah, was definitely clear about just like, yeah, what incredible sort of, um, yeah, what just sort of like a, an, an incredible step his career was mm-hmm. and 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 yeah, it was it was a very thankless job to be yeah, sure. Very much. Um, considering yeah, what what he dealt with um, as he yeah. And one he, of my favorite scenes in this movie is the little aside that Mookie and Pino have when Mookie's asking him who his fa- uh, favorite uh, sports player is and who his favorite movie star is. Yeah. And Pino says, you know, Ma- Magic Johnson, Eddie Murphy. He he says the boss is his favorite musician. Yeah, like- Mookie doesn't buy it. He thinks it's Prince. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the point of the conversation is, you know, like Pino is obviously... I think um, of our main characters, he's the one who's most in that, you know, oh, he's racist category. He's the one who's most firmly there. Like, he's un- unabashedly proud of it. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, no, he, he, he wears his he wears his disdain for for the for the black members mm-hmm. of the community on his on his sleeve to be sure yeah. but but and, and but I love how you know even the most racist people <laughs> amongst us like they they appreciate black people as far uh, when it's like convenient to them when it's entertainment to them yeah or, well and it's and it's very telling when Mookie pushes him on those on on that point mm-hmm. and and the way he explains it is that he says they're not black they're beyond they're, black. they're beyond black right. so it's like it's like that tells you right away just like yeah just like what a yeah just like the revulsion that his right. character has um for black people and I, I feel I mean yeah. I don't. I, I don't want to put like thoughts or ideas in anybody's mind, obviously, or speak for anybody. But I feel like there's a lot of people today who, even if they don't consider themselves racist, they still walk around with that kind of mentality when they see like someone who's successful of a certain race. They don't see them as that race. They see them as a success. Yeah. But when they see someone who's like just like a common person or maybe someone who is lacking, maybe a homeless guy or something, they immediately ascribe the negative aspect of their life to the race. Yeah. And it's just bizarre to me how we as humans can walk around feeling that way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, 
You know, it's like the power of the purse. And, and actually, like, how much of the social injustice has to do not just with racial inequality, but class inequality. I mean, they're both, like, intermingled hand in hand. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a very strong economic component to it. And, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, here comes question number three. So, uh, this one... <laughs> I hope you got. I don't know. You'll get this. Look, one. I'm just. <laughs> it saying, just keep getting harder. I, stumb- I stumbled at the Brooklyn Dodgers, so I think I think we can already call this one. But, uh, but we'll go see. Ahead. We'll go see. ahead. I go ahead. Easy. No, no, it's too late. We're doing this. Number three. <laughs> Which Marvel comic book briefly makes an appearance in the movie? Black Panther. There we go. There we go. Black Panther. Come on now. But that one's like Mookie wore that short shirt for half the movie. Black Panther was like a flash. Yeah, but that's fucking Black Panther. What can I say? I love the Marvel movies. Okay, come on. Uh, Black Panther, the movie, is, was, is also really great, I think. And it, it shatters a lot of, um, uh, uh, breaks a lot of ground, I think, in the terms of what it said, does and say about racism. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I thought it was really great um, that, again, the little details in this movie I love. And I thought it was really great that they specifically highlight Black Panther because for a long time that was like the only um, black superhero of note. Yeah, I mean, one that's one of the things I love about the movie is is that the movie definitely sort of pay pays a lot of really great tribute to black excellence. Yeah, um, I really love um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's roll call. Oh yeah, the DJ of all thing, the artists, and just like that that incredible list of yeah. artists, and and just like just one after another, one after another. I'm just like oh. So much, so much good music right, right there. Um, so, so yeah, no, I think that's definitely something that I really admire about this movie. Like the, yeah, again, there's there's a lot of love and hate in this movie, and oh, yeah. and, and definitely um, a lot of love for uh, for black excellence in in its many forms. Yeah. Okay, here comes question number four. Yeah. How much does Sal charge bugging out for his slice of pizza very early in the movie? Um. Charges him uh, one fifty. Correct, a dollar yeah. fifty. Yeah, two dollars for, <laughs> for extra cheese. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is fucked up. Hey. I think I think the idea of extra cheese being charged more is fucked up. Like, how much how much fucking extra cheese are you gonna put on a pizza that it really it's gonna cost you that? Much? I gotta tell you, man. Like, I I live in New York. I love New York style pizza, and I love buying local. I. Well, I do not buy Pizza Hut or Domino's or Papa John's because I feel like new, local New York pizza, yeah. it just tastes better. Yeah, of course. But I, I've had this gripe from the very beginning. Oh, yeah, the extra cheese? Toppings thing? in general, not just extra cheese, toppings cost too damn much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's usually a dollar fifty or two dollars a topping. It really fucking hurts. What yeah. if you go to those big box places, like they'll charge you like fifty cents, seventy five cents a topping. That's more reasonable. Two dollars a topping? Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. I agree. But I digress. Real, real fucked up. <laughs> real fucked up. Now, Spike Lee originally wanted Robert De Niro for the role of Sal, but uh, De Niro turned them down um, because he thought it was too similar to parts that he's played in the past. In the end, the part went to, De- uh, to Danny Aiello, but they still featured Dan- uh, Robert 
De Niro in the movie, they put him on the wall. Yeah, that's a thing. I feel like, um, yeah, you know, those those walls of fame that you do literally see in every fucking pizzeria in New York. And they um, are always Italian-American. And and, and it is always fucking Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Frank Sinatra. And you're like, wait a minute, these guys didn't eat here. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, I remember, like, you know, back when I was a kid and, and, like, you know, I had, like, my first, like, slice of quote-unquote New York pizza Mm -hmm. at Famous Familia. Mm. How legit is that? Yeah. Um, but, famous. but anyways, I remember being, you know, a kid and like my first time being in like a famous familia and like seeing that, you know, big old wall of fame. And I was like, oh, they all ate here? Like they all ate here? And my parents were like, yes, Ned. They absolutely hey, all I ate here. I think that's the impression. Legitimately, I think that's the impression that yeah. they want to give. Why I mean, else some, would you some, do I that? Mean, some of the pictures were pictures that seemed to actually be in the restaurant. So I was right. like, okay, maybe, maybe it was true. But but yeah, also, uh, as the the more walls of fame I saw in pizza, I was like, wow, these guys ate a lot of fucking pizza it's, in a lot of different locations. It's like the signs that says world's best coffee. It's like, eh, is it really? Did we really check all the other cups of coffee around the world? I don't know. Uh, now, Danny Aiello, uh, who, who, turned, who you know ended up playing Sal, he admitted that he almost turned down the part because when he saw that he'd be playing the owner of a pizzeria... He believed it to be a lazy stereotype of Italian-Americans, despite the number of pizzerias that are owned by Italian-Americans, um, which I think is a is a fair uh, gripe. But again, I feel like that's on purpose. I feel like we're supposed to feel like even Sal and his family is a stereotype. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, yeah, there, there's definitely, yeah, they definitely do play to a specific archetype. Mm-hmm. Um in in the movie to be sure but i actually appreciated like you know that there was a fair amount of detail and nuance to like their relationships oh, yeah. and to their connection to this neighborhood right um and and yeah there's there's something yeah like really like you know, like a, a little, a little heartbreaking, uh, a little heartbreaking about about Sal's own sort of like you know personal connection to the neighborhood, um, and and uh, you know seeing seeing how how much worth it was when when things kind of got as tough as they did, and and like you know obviously it's it's clear from his perspective why. He ends the movie so embittered, considering right. how you know, you know how his shop does get destroyed in the process. But also at the same time, like that, that like, yeah, there is there is this kind of like spark of hope here and there. But at the same time, even he does have like that same sort of you know revulsion and bitterness. He does that. He that does. that definitely sort of reads and and that feeds back into the tension he, that this he, movie he hides it building. but but he lives with it well yeah that's the thing he like, hides it until it comes out but i mean why else yeah pino learned that anger from somewhere well exactly yeah and and yeah and and that's like kind of the brilliance of the movie is is sort of how it builds up the pressure like yeah literally it is a pressure cooker of a film and and so it, it builds up all that all that and and the way that uh, yeah. sal like you said his relationship with the neighborhood a lot of times it, it 
comes across kind of demeaning to me. I feel. Yeah, like. there's a, yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of demeaning. There's a lot of talking down. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have the suspicion that he probably charges people of color a little more for the cheese. Right. Maybe I don't know. Like that's that that was one thing I wasn't sure if that was too explicitly hinted at or anything. But but yeah. Yeah, so. it's kind of he, he he thinks of himself as like the fa- a father of the neighborhood, like a father to. You know, it's very much like that plantation mentality of like you know, the the white owner of the plantation sees himself as the father of of the servants and the slaves, you know, and uh, it's an egalitarian whiteness, you know, and uh, um, that comes across like really condescending to me. Um, and, you know, there are parts of me that, that, that feel for Sal because I do think that he's a nice guy, but at the same time, I'm like, well... Is he really, though? Like, all of this, I feel like everything, the anger, the undercurrent, the racism is there behind it all. He just doesn't speak it out because he sees this as a living. These are the people that keep him in business. And that's the only aspect of the relationship that, that, that gives him any respect for them at all. Otherwise... Every single interaction that he has with the with black people, um, yeah, it's it's very, like, yeah, yeah, it's just like condescending, yeah, so. yeah, very strange, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Danny Aiello, this is this is his only Oscar nominated performance, and I gotta say, uh, he's fucking great in this. He movie. is, he's fantastic. Yeah, it's and, a really good. And film. I love that last scene between him and Mookie in the original script. Um, there was a stronger reconciliation between the two characters at the end, but uh, Spike Lee dialed it back um, when they actually filmed it, which I thought w- was the right choice because you can still, even though they both go at it at each other, they've been combative the whole movie. And I feel yeah. like that's their relationship. And I feel like even after the riot, everything that happened, I mean, Sal gives the guy 500 bucks when he owes him 250 Like, there's still some sort of... Yeah, you know, love I, there. Yeah, I, I kind of appreciated that. I, I, I am glad that it's interesting that that I guess the original version of the script did call for a for a like a bigger reconciliation mm-hmm. between the two of them. I think I think though that it it's clear that like the film is definitely trying to you know. To, you know, if if you're gonna if you're gonna show the aftermath of like mm-hmm. all of the violence that that neighborhood experiences over the course of the film and all of the destruction that's like left in its wake, like yeah, you don't you don't you you can't give that a clean resolution. Right. There's no. no like there's no way that that thematically works. Yeah, and certainly not from a character perspective Correct. either. So so yeah, I I do kind of appreciate that. Like yeah, he he sort of gives a bit of a severance pay mm-hmm. bump. <laughs> right. Um. But uh, that it's that ultimately there's there's like a bit of a there's a bit of a like an acknowledgement. Yeah. There's like yeah, sort of an acknowledgement of each other and and how they part ways. Mm-hmm. Um, which. Yeah, I think it's is about all you can ask for. Yeah, it's because because they do have history too. Is the right. other thing like right. it's it's clear there is history, but it's just it's 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 a very thorny history. I mean, he with, just finished with a lot of like bigger history right. that that you know mars all of it. He like, just yeah. he just finished saying that that Mookie would always have a place in South. I know, yeah, that yeah that kills me. That that's like the last thing he says to Mookie before just like everything everything goes, just goes to shit goes to shit. Yeah. All right, here comes question number five. Yeah. So I guess I put the ver- the hardest question second. That's you know that's my bad for that. But we'll see. This it's is sports ball, man. Any sports ball questions <laughs> got to be a question five. Okay. Just okay. Saying. From now on, a sports question will be question five. This yeah. is what I thought was the hardest. 
question in the movie. Let's see what you think. Um, what's the name of Samuel L. Jackson's radio DJ personality? Oh, damn it. No. Okay, you got me. Oh, no. Okay. Um, it's like... Um, Oh, Mr. Love? No, it's like Mr. Love. Something Love. Because Love is the name of the radio station. It's Love 108. It's like FM 108 Love. He is... Oh, God damn it. Uh, I'm going to say Dr. Love, but I'm pretty sure it's wrong. (laughs) You were in the better track, uh, the right track the first time. It's Mr. Mr. Senor Love Daddy. Mr. Senor Love. I thought that was a great framing did, device. Did, did not go to Love Daddy Medical School, is what right. you're saying. Okay, yeah, fair. he's not a he's not Doctor Love Daddy. Okay, fair. yeah, I thought that was a great framing device. The the radio station. Uh, yeah, it's really really clever. Yeah, uh, and again, it feels like a play. I feel <laughs> like it. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, just sort of like tying everything together. Um, it's funny because yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, he was he's always in the booth. He's like the only character that stays like in the single location. So he's joked that when they were filming the movie, he spent most of his days just sleeping because he was <laughs> always inside. They didn't need him for every shot. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, having that window that he can overlook the street right. and call people out is like pretty fun. I mean, if we're if we're comparing again to the theatrical experience, this definitely has like a Greek tragedy element to it and Samuel L. Jackson acts the part of the chorus. So a little speak. bit, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I agree with that. Um, all right, so you got uh, three out of five. So you got some bragging rights. Uh, uh, uh. You got middling bragging rights. I don't know. Let's see if you can bring Con- some Considering back. this film does have a lot of tributes to black excellence, me missing Jackie Robinson. <laughs> not, not a good look. Not, not a good look. Not a good look at all. Um, but here comes the bonus question. Let's see yeah. if you get this one. Now, um, former President Barack Obama actually talks about how he took his future wife and first lady, Michelle Obama, on their first date to watch Do the Right Thing. Okay. But he talks about how it was a choice between this movie and another movie from 1989 that also explores racial relations. What's the name of the other movie released in 1989 that also explores racial relations? Wow, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. What else came out in 89? Oh my god. I will give you a clue if you absolutely want it. (laughs) Okay, yeah. It stars Morgan Freeman. Stars Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... Daisy? Correct! Oh my god! Driving Miss Daisy! Okay. Uh, Barack Obama made the better choice. Th- he did make the better choice. <laughs> he made an infinitely better choice. Because Driving Miss Daisy is kind of weak sauce when it comes to exploring racial yeah, relations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's the fucked up thing about it, okay? Yeah. Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture in the 1990 Academy Awards. Mm. Do the right thing wasn't even nominated. Mm. Mm. Wasn't even nominated. Mm. That's what you get. That's what you get for telling truth to power. 
Spike Lee later joked that their relationship would not have survived if Barack had chosen driving Miss Daisy. I have to go with Spike Lee on that one. I absolutely have to go with Spike Lee on that one. Uh, at the 1990 Oscar ceremony, when announcing the Best Picture nominees, Kim Basinger famously caused some controversy when she ignored her scripted text and said, and I quote, We've got five great films here, and they're great for one reason, because they tell the truth. But there is one film missing from this list that deserves to be on it because, ironically, it might tell the biggest truth of all, and that's do the right thing. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, good that's for Kim really, Basinger. She that's basically, really fucking She basically cool. Kanye Wested the Academy yeah. Awards. Oh, good Lord, yes. <laughs> like, I, I enjoy these movies, but <laughs> do the right thing was amazing. Morgan Freeman, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> Sp- oh, Spike Lee later thanked her for it at a 2019 episode of the podcast Unspooled. Yeah, I thought that was great. That's really cool. That's really cool. I did not know that that happened. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. All right. So, um, you know, let's talk a little more about this movie. This film was shot entirely on Stuyvesant Avenue between Quincy Street and Lexington uh, in the Bed-Stuy neighborhood of Brooklyn. The street's color scheme was altered. They painted a lot and, you know, did a lot of upkeep by the production designer who wanted a great deal of red and orange to convey the sense of heat. Um, the Korean grocery store and Sal's Pizzeria were built from scratch on two empty lots that were opposite each other. The pizzeria was fully functional and the actors actually cooked pizzas in the ovens. So Ooh. I imagine all that sweat Ooh. was real. Oh, that sounds so painful. I mean, I feel like the production design of this movie, it's like a great piece of pop art. It really is, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, that that's, yeah. And I think, again, that does all go to that, to that feeling of it, of it being like a self-contained play that like, you know, you right. get this real tangible sense of location and that like, we are, we are here in this location mm-hmm. and we're just going to have all these entrances and exits. Oh yeah. And, and um, yeah, so it's a really, yeah, really fantastic piece. Of the way that design. this, the uh, cinematography works with the environment also, it's just, I mean, it just plays off each other so well. Like yeah. the scene of the three dudes against the red wall, just telling stories and talking Talking bullshit with each other. Yeah. Um, the 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 way that the camera during Radio Rahim's love and hate monologue, which is one of the highlights of the movie for me. Yeah. I love that speech so much, and I love the way that the camera goes from third person to first person and back to third person within the same take. Yeah. I mean, there's so much energy in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I really like that. Yeah. The. Yeah. There's. Yeah. There's this like this sort of like tilted head on the canted shots are great that, too that, mm-hmm. that like that that a lot of characters get throughout the movie and yeah it's it's really great cuz it's like it 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 kind of you know quote unquote breaks a lot of rules about like how dialogue should be shot in a way but like it right. just but it but it never it never loses the cohesion it always yeah. it always just kind of keeps you engaged and and sort of keeps you a little bit off kilter uh, like a little bit off center mm-hmm. which is like where the film wants you because it wants you kind of you know careening from one story to another 
um, and and sort of just getting swept up in how people are progressing through this. Just like and everything is interesting. Everything is interesting to watch. Everything everything is interesting to listen to. Yeah, I mean the characters have so much to say. First of all, and then the the camera work and the production just it, it. it just I mean it's riveting cinema. It's yeah. such a such a good movie to watch just for just to like learn how to like you know this is what cinema is, you know, like I, it's a great example of 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 just pop art in your face pop art. Yeah. Um the scene in which Sal uh and Bugging Out argue about there being no quote unquote brothers uh on the wall, only Italian Americans, is ironic because Giancarlo Esposito is half Italian. Did not know this. His father is originally from Napoli. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, we we know Giancarlo better. Uh, he was in uh, Breaking Bad. He was Gus. He's in The Mandalorian. I mean, he's an incredible, phenomenal actor. Oh, and I thought that he was amazing in this movie as well. Yeah, yeah, he's he is. Uh, yeah, he's he's just simply incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, just no words, no words. Every everything he everything he does is incredible. He just you, loses himself. You heard, in the you heard me go mm, when when you mentioned his name when in the right. beginning. I was just like, mm, yes, I'm so excited. It's gonna be good. Let's go into the first of our GSV segments. This one's called Shot, 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 Shots. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this movie. There's only one death in the movie. Yes. And uh, that is Radio Rahim, yeah. who's also, I think, played really brilliantly by Bill Nunn. Um, but there's quite a bit of violence. I mean, it all just like comes to a head in this in the final act where we have the the violence uh, between Sal and Radio Rahim spills out onto the street. The cops come, and uh, Radio Rahim, Rahim ends up getting murdered. By a police officer, yeah, and then uh, the ensuing riot and destruction of Sal's pizzeria. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I what I found really interesting about how what I found really interesting about how that whole violent episode played out is that um, obviously the movie is the whole movie is is sort of you know coming back to this you know this feeling of the bur- the building heat throughout right. the day and 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 all of that running parallel to these tensions mm-hmm. that you can see that are on the block right. and that like there is a very tangible sense of community but also it's constantly bristling with all of these different tensions and and, and a lot of these tensions are just rooted in this like this idea of like ownership within the community right. this like tension around like people who are from outside mm-hmm. um you've got like all of the tensions between like Sal and everybody else yeah. on the block basically and um and so ultimately when we so ultimately when the violence breaks out and the police intervene and the police end up killing Radio Rahim um what kind of strikes me about that is how the police and 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 to a larger extent, basically, like the institutions that the police are an mm-hmm. arm of, are very disconnected from the neighborhood and very disconnected from the dynamic of like the whole life cycle of that block. <laughs> like we only see them once right. when 
you know, the car owner gets splashed on right. and the police clearly have no interest in like not at all sticking around. Although I guess anything. they kind of they kind of take on the side of of the people from the neighborhood in that in that instance. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, it's but yeah, but they I, are I, removed I from that it. Too, but yeah, they're they're definitely pretty removed. Um, they they stop in for a slice. Mm-hmm. Um, but like other than that, they're pretty much like nowhere to be seen. And there's no real sense that like there's no real sense of like any sort of connection to anybody in the neighborhood right. and again like, I think that's on purpose and 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 so I think that that was what I think was the most striking thing is that the expectation of this the expectation that you're kind of building to mm-hmm. is you know how all of these different tensions are going to burst and how the violence is going to erupt like against the you know between the people right. within the neighborhood but ultimately it's but ultimately when the institutions that are you know supposedly supposed to be about like keeping the neighborhood safe yeah. and keeping the neighborhood from burning down when those institutions step in that's when the death begins yeah. too and 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 there's just like and 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 they basically just like kill him and then they take the body and leave I, and just leave the neighborhood right. with with to, like, to deal with everything to deal with it on and, their own and 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 so what and what can happen next like right. it's it and 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 it only gets worse it only gets worse as a product of their intervention their intervention literally does nothing but like take a life and then just leave them in, in even more of a of a down spiral of violence and destruction. I think that's very much the point of it. I think that, you know, when we th- when we think about public servants, um, you know, we think of like doctors and we think of like firefighters. I feel like even a firefighter is a little removed, but at least a firefighter um is is there ostensibly to help you like a firefighter has a place in your neighborhood and a police officer is someone who comes into he's an interloper um he's only there when he's called for he's not a part of your community and police officers you know they 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 walk around they have protect and serve as their motto so they want you to believe that they're a part of your community but they're not. They're foreign interlopers who come in um, and interfere and set the peace or what their version of the peace is. I feel like that's a feeling that that is very prominent, especially in black communities. Um, you know, yeah. That, well, yeah, that's the thing is that there is this there is this distrust mm-hmm. and this sort of distancing, right. I think, between um, between many police agencies and predominantly black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like such a stark difference about like how there's a stark difference about how they how they patrol neighborhoods that are not predominantly minority versus right. how they patrol and enforce in minority neighborhoods. I mean, like the statistics on stop and frisk back when that program was active in the city completely bear that out. Like how the, how the brunt of police activity when stop and frisk was in effect was in black communities. Mm -hmm. So it's, and, 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 and it's interesting too, because like even, 
when when the fact that you mentioned the firefighters because even when the firefighters oh, yeah. come in at the very end of the movie like again that's like that's like two different you know two different claws i guess if you will of the institution right. of of the institutions of the city who again their job is to keep the keep, keep the citizens right. safe their job is to put out the fires and yet it's so clear that like these institutions that are nowhere to be seen and have no in- actual involvement in the communities and like don't know anybody mm-hmm. like they just add fuel they, to the they, fire. they and 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 they and they fail to actually put out the right. fires when right. when they are called in to do that work um so uh so yeah i mean yeah, it's it's a pretty it's pretty clear like yeah, what what little regard um Spike Lee's, you know, point of view in this film has for like yeah, just the the abilities of, you know, the 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 institutions of the system to to actually, you know, improve and make the lives of this community any better and any safer. As they practice now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even like the way that he sets it up in the community. Um, you know, there's a character played by Ozzie Davis whose whose nickname is the mayor. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like gives this idea of like this is our own little, you know, place in the world. We take care of each other. We take care of ourselves. Yeah. And yes, there are disagreements. And yes, people hate each other. And yes, people insult each other. And people fight, you know. The heat causes us to say hurtful things and to cause pain to each other. But at the end of the day, we got our own shit. And at the end of the day, when they were like, you know, fighting over... When Ray Rahim and Sal were like duking it out, the mayor was there and he was saying, you know... Tear them apart. Tear them apart. And and he, it feels like, I mean, I don't know because we didn't get to see that version of events. But it feels like, you know, the community was duking it out for a very specific reason. And then the cops showed up and, like you said, just made it worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is that, I mean, it, it was it was clear that it was clear that the fight was spiraling out of control in the pizzeria. And so I, I, yeah, like it, who, who's to say what the alternate version right. of those events would necessarily be, but like, yeah, it was, it was kind of remarkable how, <laughs> how, how the police, yeah, the, the, the way the police are depicted just like coming in and basically just failing, failing to deescalate. And I like that and, the police ha- wasn't all white either. Like there was, uh, the two, our two main cops, we got a white guy, we got a Hispanic guy. Yeah. And then we, there were black police officers too. I, I feel like that also is a very important message that some people, you know, don't get is it's not about necessarily the race of the police officer. It's the whole institution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's very much at the heart of, of, of I think many misunderstandings mm-hmm. about the very nature of racism right. that like racism is an institutional right. is an institutional problem mm-hmm. it is not simply a matter of like you know a stereotypical person from the south right. say right. who who just you know it says unchoice things at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. dinner. Um, it is, it is, it is a systemic thing. Yeah. It is, it is a matter of just, it is, it is a, it is a matter of, of the, the levers of power. And, uh, as, as the, as the Malcolm X quote at right. the very end of the film speaks to that, that, you know, all of the, all of the power is in the hands mm-hmm. of, 
those that would deny many communities right. what they need to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And in that case, maybe violence is appropriate. Yeah. Um, so it's what's interesting about the police officer who who kills Radio Rahim in, in the movie, um, his name is Officer Long. He's actually played by Rick Aiello, who is the real-life son of Danny Aiello. Fascinating. Yeah. Very fascinating. Yeah. It's an interesting yeah. choice. Uh, Spike Lee has criticized several white film critics for their perceived racist reviews. Uh, he's always been uh, outspoken about speaking out when when uh, when when he when he thinks he sees like you know he he speaks out truth to power. And I've always respected him for that. Um, these reviews have stated that the movie would incite anger. These are con- contemporary reviews of the movie when it came out. Uh, they that the reviewers thought that the movie would incite anger and cause riots within the black population, and if that this would happen, the blood would be on Lee's hands. Hmm. Now Lee defended his movie by stating that if white people can contain themselves from causing trouble after seeing movie violence in an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, then so can black people. Now, he would later praise Roger Ebert, who I know that you love, um, (laughs) but Roger Ebert was one of the few white critics who understood the film's message of mutual understanding, and Spike Lee actually praised him for that. But what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about people... Because... This film is a very controversial movie, and I feel like, I mean, even just when I was doing research of this movie and reading what people thought of it, like, online, I mean, you either got it or you didn't, I feel like there was those two camps, and it's often like, I mean, I just hate to say it, but it's often like white people who who have this skewed understanding of what the takeaway of this movie is. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that, like, yeah, I mean, I I, I certainly think that uh, Spike Lee's right on to call any review that would assert that the film would would spark riots Mm -hmm. within the black community. Like, yeah, absolutely, 110%. Those reviews are fucking racist. Um, I think that, like... Yeah, yeah, it just, it shows, yeah, it shows such a, such a remarkable, yeah, just such, such remarkable disregard for communities of color to to think, to think (laughs) that that would be a response, like, to a film that is actually speaking to, like, what life in these communities You're being like Pino, you're dehumanizing these people. Yeah. Um, Um, But yeah, I feel like, you know, a a lot of people, obviously, and, and this... Like we talked about how timely this movie is, how it hasn't it's barely aged a second, especially with everything that's going on now with the protests and and how there's this huge debate online yet again for the thousandth time about what's more important, a man's life or property. And of course, it's a man's life that's worth more than property. But the people again, when I was researching this movie and the people who had a problem with this movie we're criticizing the fact that they destroyed a man's property. I'm like, come on, guy! The police just killed a guy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That that was now. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, yeah, that that was the other thing that that was sort of striking about. Yeah, that that critical reception that like. Yeah, the just the 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 clutching of pearls at the depiction right. of a riot as a reaction to violence that. You know, is is very clearly visited upon yeah. this community by the systems of power. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's 
yeah, it's it's pretty disheartening to to yeah to continue to see the the blatant disregard that you know white white society holds for the black community for you know continuing to try to assert for themselves for their own security and their own you know their own just like regard of equal protection Mm -hmm. under the law so i mean 1989 was 21 years ago yeah well and, and i think also like you know New York City has changed a fair bit since then, too. Right. So, I mean, it's definitely depicting, you know, turn of the turn of the decade New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the city has gone through changes and... Um, but the institutions remain the same. Well, that's the thing, yeah, is that, like, the institutions remain the same and, you know, and, and the... The very insidious nature of the violence that's visited on black communities very much remains the same. Um, I think it's in some yeah. cases it's even worse. Like there's the scene in the in the film. Um, it, it's played for it's played for laughs when when the the white guy smudges bugging out's shoe. Even though when if you look back at the movie, the white guy didn't even step on that side of bugging out. Oh yeah, but that's in a different conversation. But uh, bugging out, you know, he, he bugs out about, about the guy stepping on his shoe, and the guy reveals that he actually owns a brownstone. This is like the implication of the beginning of gentrification, right? Yeah. And if you go to Bed Stuy now, it's a heavily gentrified community. And the thing about it is that you know, in at least then, when when the white guy had just bought the brownstone. There was gentrification, but the class inequality wasn't as pronounced as it is now. Now, everyone's being like smushed into tighter and tighter quarters because there's so many parts of this city that are just flat out unaffordable for people, um, for most people, especially like yeah, people for the of people color. Who, yeah, well, and, and that was one of the things I really love about about this movie's depiction of the tensions building within the neighborhood because, like, you see a lot of... You you see, like, multiple generations in this film. Both, like, multiple generations just, like, within Sal's family. Right. Within the pizzeria. As well as, like, multiple generations of people who, Mm -hmm. like, have been living on the block for many, many years and who have seen a lot versus, like, you know, the young... You know, the... The, the young parents and then mm-hmm. the kids obviously too and so uh, and and so the film just does such a great job of like showing how the tensions that are beginning to bristle um, are tensions that you know span across yeah decades de- yeah decades and generations yeah um, we have the mayor and we have a mother sister those are the two like uh, the patriarchal uh, or patriarchy and matriarchal yeah of characters of the neighborhood yeah of the neighborhood it, what's really interesting to me because they do alluded it uh, to it in their different conversations about the history that they've lived you know mm-hmm. and obviously um like the the character of Smiley, for example, he goes around selling pictures of of Malcolm X and and Martin Luther King Jr. and these two characters, um, and also the actors Ozzie Davis and and Ruby D, they were there. You know, they were there in the '60s. Like they, R- Ruby D was in Raising in the Sun on Broadway. You know, she is. They're both like legends in, of not only in acting but civil rights and uh, and like. Their characters have that shared experience. Like they know, 
you know, oh, we lived through this. We don't want to see this anger, this violence come about again. But what really strikes me and what really, I don't know if I call it heartbreaking or what, it's definitely heart-wrenching. And those final moments when we have the riot just going out of control, Mother Sister is one of the people there calling for blood. She's like saying, burn it down, yeah. burn it down. And then when she catches herself and sort of realizes it, she starts screaming into the abyss. And she's no, no. And the mayor has to come and comfort her. And the next day, the scene that they have when they're like, hey, is the neighborhood still standing? And she's like, we're still standing. Yeah. It's so. There's yeah. so much packed into that, you know? Yeah. It's incredible. And um, interesting bit here, you know, the mayor and and, uh, and mother sister, they're two characters that hate each other in the movie. Yeah. Ozzie Davis and Ruby D were married in real life. Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's super sweet. That's so, That's yeah. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. I love it. And they're, they're amazing in this movie. Yeah. But uh, I feel, yeah, the, the movie says so much about... Which, again, yeah. I feel like we could just teach a whole semester's worth of yeah, knowledge. Absolutely. Let's go to the next segment. Uh, this segment's called Boob Tube. We do got some boobs in yeah, this movie. Yeah, we do have the literal boob tube for we this got one. Rosie Perez boob. Yeah, we do. Definitely. Um, I have to say, like, a remarkably a remarkably sexy scene. Like, that's, oh, yeah. That's like, yeah. Hot day. Doing a little, a little ice cube therapy. Yeah, a little like, ice cube. That, yeah. I, I thought that was... That was that was a, that was that was some good moves. You were Mookie. talking about the poetry. I thought that that was a very poetic scene when when Spike Lee uh, Mookie is like, uh, "Thank God for lips, thank God for kneecaps." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real, real nice, real nice verse there. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think about the female characters in this movie? What do you think about uh, Tina Rosie Perez's character? Um, it's interesting because we we really don't see that much of her. She like that that was one of the things that I I feel like I didn't have as firm of a grip on mm-hmm. because it seemed like I mean certainly it, it feels like Tina's character kind of mostly exists as a sort of a source of motivation or lack thereof for Mookie. Right. Um. You know it, it it's it feels like. It feels like she's this kind of this obligation that he keeps sort of yeah, dodging much so. and avoiding. Um, except that, like, when they are together, like, there is a ton of like, or at least in that scene, like, you know, when he delivers the pizza first, and it leads to the ice cube scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it there's a lot of there is a lot of just like natural like you know love and charisma between the two of them. Um, it's it's clear that they have this like attraction to each other that 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 seems to be like you know a promising thing and you don't really see any hint of like Mookie's like you know hesitance around right. you know being around her and stuff like that um, and uh, so so yeah I I felt like I didn't I didn't get yeah I I, I don't know like I just I I felt like I I did want to see more of her life because we have like the fight that she has with her mother at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. um we have like yeah her her scene with Mookie when he delivers the pizza and I think that's like pretty much it except for like kind of the end of the movie when he wakes up next to her and then, right. goes, and then leaves mm-hmm. so so she, yeah she's kind of one dimensional yeah there there didn't seem to be a lot 
yeah, going on. I mean, there. Rosie Perez is really good in it, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's a great performance. Um, but but yeah, she she doesn't feel as as well realized as she could have been. Because I, I think, think like Jade, like we get a little more rounded out with Jade. That's uh, Mookie's sister. Yeah, yeah, a, a little more so. Um, uh, I mean, again. A, a little bit kind of merely existing right. to to kind of be be, be a, a, foil. A, a, a propelling <laughs> force for Mookie yeah. um, a little bit but um but but yeah a little more well-rounded and kind of like their their dynamic together um and and also like you know there there is a kind of a sweet dynamic between her and Sal um I I get I get Mookie's suspicion of of Sal's yeah. intentions. Was that pro- not to jump the 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 segment but was that problematic? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I I think I I see I I think like it's definitely a bit of a crush. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jade probably is a little bit wise to it, but like you know, I think by the same token, I do kind of take her at her word that it probably is like an innocent crush. Right. You know what I? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's it's an innocent crush type thing, and so I don't know. I don't know. I I get I get Mookie's suspicions, and I think especially because like I think that you know Mookie is much more cognizant of Sal's own right, like his his own like you know reservations and his own. Um, you know his own bristling tension right. throughout the film. So mm-hmm. I think I think that is something that Mookie is is a little more wise to, and I, so I think that combined with a, a protective instinct towards his sister makes m- makes a lot of sense that he would that he would be more inclined to say like don't don't come around and and to want to try to keep the two of them separate. Now, me personally, I, uh, I feel like that's actually one of the negative things about this movie because other than, I feel like mother sister is probably the most interesting female character that the movie has. And the one that actually has like the most complete arc, even again, she is a bit player because we get more from the mayor than we do mother sister. But, um, but at least like she, her character has a journey. Um, the other female characters don't really have, Journeys, uh, so to speak, in this movie, and that's one of the f- the, the few knocks that I will give uh, against this film. And I'm not the only one who's noticed that um, he's Lee has been criticized for his representation of women in general. Um, black feminist author Bell Hooks has said that he writes black women in the same objectifying way that while white male filmmakers write characters of white women, and I think that's a very fair criticism to make. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like that just like there there are so many different viewpoints mm-hmm. in the neighborhood and and um yeah, you don't you don't get, like I think with with the exception of uh of uh, mother sister mm-hmm. um you don't you don't you don't get that much in the way of viewpoints right. and right. and and you don't get much in the way of like perspective on mm-hmm. the neighborhood. Um So yeah. Um, and another thing that's kind of, again, this is kind of bleeding into our next segment. We can talk about it now. Um, Rosie Perez, as we talked, this is her first acting gig. And she has said later on after the movie, she said that she was very uncomfortable doing the nude scenes in the movie. Um, Mm. she said, uh, and I quote, she said, my first experience with doing nude scenes was do the right thing. And I had a big problem with it mainly because I was afraid of what my family would think. That's what was really bothering me. It wasn't really about taking my clothes off, but I also didn't feel good about it because the atmosphere wasn't correct. 
And when Spike Lee puts ice cubes on my nipples, the reason you don't see my head is because I'm crying. I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, what do you What do you feel about Jeez. that? Um, yeah, no. I mean, that's not. Yeah, that's not great. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, that's 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 unfortunate to hear. That like, is, yeah. She really. did later on do some more nude scenes later on. She says that she's comfortable with it now. But again, this is your first time. Yeah, I think I think for it to be your first role, and I think like yeah, if you've if you've gotten to that point in production where like they literally can't shoot your face because you're holding back tears, then like it's very clear that like the you know, there hasn't been a trust built on mm-hmm. set. And, like, again, like, yes, yeah, some movies are going to need nudity and there needs to be, like, you know, there needs to be, like, a clear understanding of consent with your actors. Really? And and you need to be able to, and you need to be able to, like, foster a, you know, an environment where the actors can do their yeah, work. It didn't and, sound like the, she, like you said, the, the atmosphere wasn't correct, but I feel like you need to, you need to actually take steps to make the atmosphere correct exactly yeah and 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 you know because yeah there are a, a lot of filmmakers do do things like you know limiting the number of crew right. present for those shoots and stuff mm-hmm. like that so so like yeah i uh you know without without knowing too much of the specifics about what it was that went down yeah that 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 definitely does sound like a pretty big problem uh, yeah. let's go into the next segment this one's called Mm, that's problematic. Uh, now, obviously, the movie deals with some heavy shit. Um, yeah, it does. It does. I mean, like, the thing is, like, I think that it... Yeah, I, I, I'm I, not sure that, aside from our discussions about, like, what, what went down in, like, the filming, um, as far as, like, Rosie Perez is mm-hmm. concerned, um, I, I have trouble, yeah, like, necessarily finding too much problematic about the the story the film is trying to tell because it's kind of like the point right like i feel like even like even their interactions with for example the korean grocer which you could say is a form of racism from the black community towards them Um, but that's kind of the point well well, like yeah bigoted behavior to be sure Mm -hmm. um and and discriminatory behavior to be sure um i think that like yeah like but but all of that goes towards all of that goes towards, you know, depicting the the tensions that are simmering underneath the surface. And and again, this is like why I think the movie is so brilliant that like before you really ever necessarily see any of those like sour interactions between Well, there's there's like you you, you see the mayor like purchase a drink. Right. First, but then afterwards you get the the three guys that are chilling outside mm-hmm. and and you hear them talking about like you know how absurd it is right. that like you know that that this business opened up with with people who are not like from the neighborhood mm-hmm. and uh so so it's it's like it's it's giving you that like you know multi generational right. context uh of all the resentments that kind of then go into these really bliss, you know, uh, bristly interactions between people within the community. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, no, I think that like, yeah, while the, while there are certainly plenty of problematic behaviors, um, it, it all goes towards, you know, really painting a, a rich detailed, you know, microcosm of, of, 
of a urban community. It, yeah. it, it is about the problematic behavior. It's calling out the yeah. problematic behavior. Yeah. So I feel like yeah, it's in service of the movie. What did you think of Smiley's character? Um, the character, uh, I guess, like he's a he's a. He he felt you know he his character was interesting like it, it I, I again I I'm sure that there are things that I'm missing as far as like the you know the the role that his character plays in the neighborhood and and sort of the messaging behind mm-hmm. his character's presence but like in a way it it almost kind of feels like he's kind of like the heart of the film in a mm. way in. Or, or I, don't, I don't know, like if he's necessarily like the heart of the film, but just like in the sense that like there is this like, I mean, he's literally well, carrying around the message of the film. Well, that's the thing is that like yeah, he, is that like he you know he he clearly has like an innocence right. to him. He represents and, innocence and, for sure, and he is carrying and he is carrying around like you know these these photos of like you know the 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 two the two, the two behemoths mm-hmm. of. Uh, of black liberation. Right. Um, and uh, so I think that, like, and 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 so, yeah, I think that, like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say he's kind of the heart of the film mm-hmm. because he, uh, he, he is, yeah, because he, he is, he is going around trying to give everybody this, this image of, like, I guess what amounts to as, like, you know, like, two, two sort of, Differing philosophies mm-hmm. on clashing philosophies. On, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I'm not necessarily sure how clashing you could say are, but I mean, certainly, obviously, Martin Luther King, you know, much more strongly emphasized, um, you know, peaceful resistance. Um, but like that, but yeah, that like he's, you know, he's he's sort of going around, passing around to everybody, kind of you know, reminders of like the these two great larger than life leaders of you know the movement for civil rights and so yeah like i think how do you think the characters interacted with him do you think there was anything problematic and because of his disability well i think that like it i mean it's interesting that i think the decision to have him be there as this kind of innocent character it's it seems like most of the other characters in the film are fairly dismissive of him in right. a way and and it's because he seems to be innocent of like the day to day in mm-hmm. a way at least that's the impression i get that like most of the characters are kind of like you know dealing with the heat and dealing with like you know all of the personal squabbles that they have to navigate in their in their regular daily life mm-hmm. cycle so there seems to be this like uh, Smiley's sort of seems to be like trying to like you know give everybody like uh, you know uh, uh, you know a sense of like the you know the the, the great the great fight right. in a way, but like everyone else is just kind of too wrapped up in this like cyclical really tough navigation through never ending cycle of, of, yeah. of mistrust and hatred yeah um, there is the point though where when Pino goes out and and, uh, and basically pushes Smiley off of the establishment that that's when we see Smiley crack and Smiley actually says fuck you to Pino yeah and ever and from that moment on Smiley is firmly in the side of the violence like he he is part of the riot he's spitting on Sal true uh, it's almost like the innocent 
is the innocence is shattered. And even when like Sal goes out and tries to make things right and gives him a couple of bucks. And that's very telling that scene, too, with Sal as a character, because Sal just got done like chiding Pino for being so angry. And he lets his son go out there and harass Smiley. And then finally he gets off his fat ass, you know, so to speak. And again, not to be like, you know, maybe that was the wrong choice of words, but (laughs) I'm I'm trying to be facetious for a reason, you know. he, he He gets off his lazy ass, let's put it that way. Way, uh, and to, to stop and to quell and to, and to be fatherly. Uh, I'm the father of the neighborhood. Here's a couple of bucks. Let's yeah. forget this ever happened. But he's complicit. He's complicit to the racism. Yeah. He's like watching it happen. He's not stopping it. Yeah. 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 That's the thing is that I think that like, yeah. And again, I think it's like, you know, the, the film is, is so great in, in how it, how it, again, it kind of brings it brings in this idea of like the lived experience mm-hmm. of generations and that like Sal Sal has like a certain amount of resentment to be right. true in his day to day but also he has been there for so long and yeah. so you know there is something that he does treasure about his clientele like mm-hmm. even if ultimately most of his connection is just that they put food on the table but like yeah you you see like that kind of parallel of like the more immediate rage of the younger generations right, right. who are experiencing their frustrations on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. um whether it be from Vino's own you know bigoted point of view or from the point of view of the members of this community who even exhibit their own bigoted behaviors towards the Korean grocers. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the film, the film definitely is very clear headed in kind of showing that like, you know, there, there is this, there is this generational difference and and that even, and, and, and that there are parallels to that generational difference. It's it's almost like Sal is patronizing his patrons. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, just another interesting interesting thing about the smiley character. So the, that character wasn't originally in the script, uh, Roger Gwenver Smith approached Spike Lee requesting a role in his movie, and there wasn't a role to give him, so those scenes were added during shooting. I actually do think that the character adds a lot. Like I said, like uh, like we both you know discussed, that he is the innocent heart of the of the film, yeah. and how you push that innocence to the breaking point is, I think, part of again the message of what yeah, what's definitely. going on with um, this country. Now, an open question near the end of the movie. Um, I kind of agree with, before I say this, I'm going to say just like a little disclaimer. I agree with what Spike Lee ends up saying about this. Um, But this is a movie discussion podcast, so the open question has to be dealt with. So I'm going to ask you the open question. Um, Does Mookie do the right thing? Hmm. Um, Look, that's... That's that 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 is a hard thing for me to answer. Um, it's a hard question for anyone to answer, honestly. Yeah, certainly. Let let let, let alone for 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 us us two humble podcast hosts, right. not neither of whom are black. Um, right. To be to to be completely fair and mm-hmm. transparent. Um. So I. I mean, yeah. That that I mean that is basically like literally. 
that is basically like kind of literally in my notes or it, it's not literally in my notes, but I almost put in my notes like was the right thing done. Right. Um, has the right thing been done in this film? Um, and and I suppose and I suppose that is that is the moment that that is spoken to, because I think that like in terms of a certain sense of like adherence to his community and in terms of like in terms of the fact that Mookie takes on a lot of labor throughout the film, um, you know, having to deal with like the fact that you know, Vino is like saying the N word all day Pino. and Pino, sorry, mm-hmm. apologies. Vino um, is his brother. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, so, so the fact that, uh, Pito, Pino, Pino, okay. Pino, like okay. Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir, <laughs> Vino. Okay, great. Cool. Um, so the fact that, you know, he deals with, you know, Pino's just like blatant, bigoted, you know, complaints right. throughout the day, as well as like, you know, the, the more subtle microaggressions that he gets from Sal mm-hmm. and probably even from Vino here and there right. too. Um, I think that like for him to make the decision to throw that trash can shows like a uh, sort of a, there, there is a clear headedness to mm-hmm. that. To it's making a very that deliberate decision. decision. It's, it's a, de- yeah, that's a thing is that like he doesn't, is that it's so clear in the moment that he does it that it's not it's not him losing control. He doesn't. It's him simply saying that like it, it it is a very clear decision that like this gross horrendous injustice was done, mm-hmm. and and you know the police are long gone in that moment. Yeah. like they they They've they abandoned them. They step in. They step in. They you know kill someone who's mm-hmm. a pillar of the community mm-hmm. and then drag the body away. Yeah. And so nothing to there, see here. And, and so like it, and, and so it's like, what, what is the thing to be done right. in that moment? And I think that like for him, and to he's say, standing with them, like w- w- the immediate aftermath, he's standing with Sal and his family and they actually like the, the, the crowd that's gathering around thirsting for blood yeah. They ask Mookie. They're like, Mookie. They're like, they killed Radio Raheem. Yeah. And he makes the decision to abandon them and yeah. go get and go get the trash can. Yeah. So um so yeah, I think I think from that angle of of deciding to take a stand, mm-hmm. um, yes. That said, obviously the film is very dense. Um mm-hmm. and uh and, and actually I mean uh, I'm I'm curious to hear what Spike Lee's take on this is. Um, now, some critics have interpreted, before I get to Spike's take, uh, some critics have interpreted Mookie's action as an action that saves Sal's life by redirecting the crowd's anger away from Sal to his property. Um, others say that it was an irresponsible encouragement to enact violence. What do you think about about that? That's interesting. I mean, I'm not sure that the the idea that it was an act to try to save Sal's life is an interesting idea. Um, and certainly I think, like, yeah, there's a lot to be said that, like, when the riot breaks out, you know, they don't go for blood, despite the fact that blood has been shed. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the... Sal was the one who instigated the, the violence that led to that blood being shed. Mm-hmm. Um... 
But that said, I don't know. I don't know. That's that is a very interesting take. Um, as far as it being an irresponsible act, again, like you know, I. I, I don't know that just with with my own privilege that I'm still <laughs> with my own privilege that I am absolutely well just the, like that you know I, it like look there's there's a lot of privilege and a lot of unlearning that I know I'm I'm still personally working on mm-hmm. so like I yeah I I I don't necessarily know that I want to that I want to necessarily are, have that yeah I think I think to have that yeah to 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 merely dismiss it as just like an irresponsible right. act of violence is is to is to basically again put more value on the property the sanctity of property than on the the desire to have security in your life there's and, a there's yeah. a big parallel with what's going on now and and the, the messaging of this movie obviously like the there's been protests uh, because of the murder of george floyd and a lot of property damage that results from looting and riots and and again people just asking you know What's the point of the violence? Like, you know, valuing property over human life. Um, and the movie definitely deals with that. But but I like how open-ended it is. I like that it doesn't put its thumb firmly on one corner or the other. Um, the, and, and, and especially the way that it ends with the two quotations by Malcolm X and MLK Jr. Yeah, that's um, the thing, is that the film is... Is not prescriptive, you know. The no, film, yeah. the film does it's not, not didactic. Yeah, the the film, yeah, the film definitely does not. The film itself does not explicitly say this is this is what needs to happen in right. order for us to have justice. Right. It merely shows what happens. What, what happens <laughs> when there is such when a there is no justice. Yeah. Miscarriage of justice. Right. What what the natural consequence? Absolutely. Of that is. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and of course, the two the two quotes at the end again. One advocates for nonviolence. The other advocates for armed self defense in response to oppression. Now, Spike Lee, this is what he says. He actually leaves it dubious, you know, but but he gives a little more context. He's remarked that only white people seem to be the the ones who ask him if Mookie did the right thing. And I think that's a very valid point because um, I never thought of that. That wasn't a question that came to my mind until I started doing research for this movie. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, n- I never knew that there was a subset of people out there who was asking themselves if Mookie did the right thing. Um, but Spike Lee remarks at that. He says that it seems to be only white viewers that ask him if Mookie did the right thing. Black viewers do not ask that question. Uh, Lee believes that the key point is that Mookie was angry at the wrongful death of Radio Rahim. And like you said, and we've said, uh, viewers who question the riot are explicitly failing to see the difference between damage to property and the death of a black man. Yeah. So here's my take yeah. on what the title means. Yeah. Um, because I think that the title, like everything in this movie, is, is, a, is, a, is very, not metaphorical, but illusionary. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that anyone in the movie did the right thing. Hmm. I think that it's up to us the viewer who watched the movie to then go and do the right thing. Hmm. The, the, the message do the right thing is not about anybody in the movie. It's explicitly directed towards us. That's why it's a command. Well, and, and I, and I like that because I think that, 
as as with the song that we hear most prominently throughout the, the film, it's that the film serves to be a call to action. Yeah. And the thing is, it's it ends with it ends with two different types right. of calling to action. Like pick your side and do it. Yeah. You know, whichever side you think is right, you do the right thing. Yeah. That's that's what it says to me. Yeah. It's it's a it, like you said, it's a call to action for me. Yeah. It's not trying to say like which side is right, which side is wrong. It's up to you to decide. Hmm. And I think that that's the powerful thing about this movie. And I yeah. think that like that's the thing that that bla- uh, what Spike Lee's implying, black audiences get that. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the thing, is that, like, yeah, I, I have such trouble... Yeah, that's the thing. I had such trouble kind of coming around to the, mm-hmm. whether he did the right thing, because it's, like, it's it's not necessarily that it's... You know, it, it is it is a reaction. It, right. It, it is a reaction. And it, it, it seems to be something of a of a deliberate, maybe a little bit measured action, but, like, right. it's, it is a reaction that comes from a, a, a systemic failure that left a community you know in ruins in, right in terms of just like the 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 life that was lost um an integral part of the community right so yeah all right let's go down to our, our final thoughts wrap up this conversation um so we you know we're talking a lot about how this uh <sighs> This cycle of violence just like keeps being perpetrated in America. It seems to have no end, and we're going through it again. Uh, we're all experiencing the pain. And at the beginning of, of uh, this episode, um, I, I, I did a little statement about our purpose for reviewing this movie um, tonight, and I said that I was going to give um, our listeners um, a few, you know, organizations that they can donate to if they choose to. And, uh, so I have three, uh, organizations here to do great work. And if you choose to give them your money, it goes a long way. Um, the first one is called the National Bail Fund Network. Um, they provide bail for protesters. I think that's really important because a lot of times, um, I mean, a lot of times these people, you know, they, they're out there because they have no other resource. You know, they, they, it's a pr- when, and and they're putting their bodies on the line and 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 I mean like we're we're only a few days into mm-hmm. these protests that are going right. on and um, you know the 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 crowd control tactics are just so exceptionally a, a, brutal abysmal. that we're seeing right now right. so so yeah I mean the people who are out there on the streets right now and especially in the midst of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think yeah, supporting supporting their bail is is really important because yeah, yeah. they're 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 really putting their bodies on the if, line. If you're out there for, for if, this if you're out there protesting, more power to you and yeah. obviously you're doing it because you feel you have no other choice. But yeah. but we have a choice. Like we can speak from our privilege uh, and say I have a choice to support not just the protesters and to actually go protest, but I can support this organization also. Yeah. Um, the next organization I want to highlight is the Know Your Rights Camp. Um, this is a great organization. They work to provide education for black youth and also a legal defense fund. Um, we know from history and just, you know, it seems like one of those things that it's so obvious and yet we haven't dealt with it as a society. It's one of our great failings. We know that lack of education and opportunity, lack of opportunity in education is part of the problem. And yet it's 
again, not being solved. So um, this 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 camp does does the right thing, and uh, they support that. So give them give them their your money if you feel like you're called to do so. The last organization that I want to highlight is Campaign Zero, um, and they offer solutions to end police violence. Um, at the end of the day, we can argue. I mean, it's an argument that I feel has no merit. But if you want to argue about race on race violence, go at it. Who am I to stop you? This this movie obviously brings that conversation forward. So argue away. But the the main thing that we want to focus on right now is that there is a ruling class present, and their go to strategy is violence. And like we've said in this episode so far, these are the people that are meant to protect and serve us. And they're out there killing our citizens. And it's not, you know, I'm not, you can say, oh, it's not every cop, blah, 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 blah. Sure, there are good people that are police officers, but police violence is is a systemic problem. So there is no such thing as a good cop as long as the system continues to be evil. So if you feel like that's something that you're passionate about, give your money to Campaign Zero. Um, They do great work. Um, As we come to the end of this discussion, Ned, what do you think about Do the Right Thing? Um, We we both know it's an important movie, um, but just just talking about it objectively, do you think that it's a a bad movie, so-so movie, good movie, great movie? What do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, I... I'd still say it, it gets a grade. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I have not seen nearly enough of Spike Lee's work. And um, so uh, it was really great to to jump into one of his from 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 the conversations I hear one of his arguably greatest films. Right. Um, and probably his is most critically acclaimed. I think. Yeah, for sure. And um and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for, you know, it's it's so fascinating to hear about the controversy mm-hmm. around it um, uh, as we were talking about it. Uh, I mean, I, I have no doubt that it was controversial um, right. in the time it came out. The Reagan um, era. Yeah. And 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 to see how much of it uh, does, you know, continue to reflect um, many of the unfortunate realities about um, violence that's visited on the black community mm-hmm. today. Um really says a lot and um so yeah and 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 i mean i think it it's it's so beautifully shot it's so full of fantastic energy mm-hmm. um these wonderful performances beautiful writing right um i think it's it's a really really fantastic film and um definitely one that i i know i will personally want to revisit just because there is so much going right. on um and uh, so yeah it's just a really fantastic piece of work uh, I agree. I think it's a great film. Um, probably one of one of the best. It's certainly one of the most important. Again, we, we keep we keep bringing that word up. Uh, even if even if it, if you objectively don't appreciate the movie aesthetically, you gotta you you gotta bow to its importance. The way that it that it brings this message to the forefront and the the issues that we're still dealing with today. I mean, it's it's still as as uh, relevant as ever. I think it hasn't aged like barely a second since it came out. Um, for me, talking personally, the issue of racism in my life is a very fraught issue because uh, I'm a I'm a Puerto Rican man, and 
I've experienced racism in my life, but I've also experienced privilege in my life, especially. And I, I mean, I will say this: I have, I have black people in my family. I, I have lighter skinned people in my family. That's. I think Puerto Ricans are a pretty mixed race, um, and I have the privilege. I will say, and I'm using that pejoratively, I have the privilege to have been born with lighter skin. And I feel like when people see me, they're quick to assume that I'm a white guy. But when people see my name, they're quick to assume that I'm a colored person. And I see this most relevantly like whenever I've applied for a job. I, you know, the resume. They, that resume is a door to slam in my face before they even see me. But when they see me, I have often had the experience where I can see the surprise in their eyes when they see who walks in the door. And I'm not blind to that. Um, as such, I'm, I, I will say, like, I, even though I've experienced the racism and I've experienced the, the privilege and I'm somewhere in the middle, I personally still have a lot to learn. There's still a lot that I that I am struggling with again because of those two opposing forces in my life and how I've learned to take advantage of one over the other, how I've learned to be less proud of myself as a Puerto Rican and try to be like, oh, I'm an American first. But how recently in certain events that have happened in America have really brought home the fact that I am in very much still a second-class citizen in this country. And it's only, again, by this luck of birth that I was born with slightly lighter skin that I can go out through my day and not be harassed like countless of other Puerto Ricans, including black Puerto Ricans and other black people and other people of color who don't have that privilege that I do. And... And this movie, I feel like, is an explosion in my mind when it comes to those ideas. And it comes to, like, that struggle that I have. And it, uh, every time that I see it, um, I mean, I, I just feel like I'm watching something that should be required viewing for everyone in America. So if you listen to us talk about it today and you didn't watch this movie... <laughs> Go watch the movie. Yeah. If you know anyone that hasn't seen the movie, watch the movie. If you have a friend or if you have a family member who's trying to convince you that property is worth more than people, sit them down and watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> having said that, I thank you, Ned, for watching Do the Right Thing with me. Thank I hope, you for having me. I hope that you join me next time to watch another movie. Um, whether or not it's schlocky, we'll see. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go back to the schlocky fun, people. We, we promise. Um, and thank you guys out there for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and maybe, you know, it got you to think a little bit and, and, and made you want to learn some more. Um, until next time, go out there and do the right thing. Be safe. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. We're gonna have some gratuitous sex.
gratuitous sex. 